house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. A briefing about the institution. All I know is it's a mental hospital. For the criminally insane. We take only the most dangerous, damaged patients, ones no other hospital can manage. You're hereby required to surrender your firearms. We are duly appointed federal marshals. But during your stay, you will obey protocol. Gentlemen, welcome to Shutter Island. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that communes with the great Yaya priestesses of old. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my duly appointed federal marshal, Chris File. Hello, Chris. We are duly appointed federal marshals. Listen, we are nothing if not duly appointed federal marshals that's true that's what podcast hosts are these days we are uh... the girls are girling the duly appointed federal marshals are duly appointed federal marshaling handing over their weapons to john carroll lynch right at the beginning because that's protocol yeah our fifth john carroll lynch movie chris the next time we do a john carroll lynch movie we will be doing a six timers club induction so jcl six timers club oh we should also say oh yeah we should acknowledge (laughs) <laughs> Oops. So here's the thing. Somebody pointed out in our menchies when we did the Notting Hill episode that uh, they were shocked that we didn't do a six timers club for Julia Roberts because, of course, it was uh, the sixth time for Julia Roberts. And here's the thing. Yes. Um, we had a lot going on. Well, first I think of all, when we were early preparing that episode, we like put it in our back pocket. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to do that, and then we no. just forgot because of everything. else. No, here's here's the thing, and I'm gonna fall on my sword for this. So I keep a spreadsheet where I keep all track of all the actors that we do for this exact purpose for figuring out the the six timers thing. And when that got called out, I went and I checked my spreadsheet, and I said, "No, we're at five. And I was reminded that. Uh, Pret-a-Porte is a Julia Roberts movie, and I hadn't, for some reason, neglected to put that in the spreadsheet. So, my bad. This is a clerical error on my part. But, Chris, you do make a good point, which is that if we had added a Julia Roberts six-timers quiz to the Notting Hill episode, it would have cracked three hours. And that would have been a lot. So... Our pl- our pledge to you, uh, our loyal Garys, is that the next time we do a Julia Roberts movie, we will include the six-timers quiz belated, and it will be even better because it'll be about seven movies. So fear not. We we have not abandoned the our our you know trusted practice of six-timers club. I just made a boo-boo in the spreadsheet. So there and we, we do have, have our two hundredth episode celebration next week, and uh enterprising listeners who might want to go back and figure it out we're going to have a six timers club quiz next that week. is true we are already going to have a six timers club in our 200th episode we're going to have it's uh, it's going to be a time it'll be fun does that mean that 
someone who has already had five movies is going to have their sixth movie. Does that mean that Julia Roberts is going to have her seventh movie? We don't know. Enterprising listeners can debate and figure it out for themselves. We got another clue for you. Besides, Chris, your your clues this month have been in particular uh, unhinged on Twitter. So I will uh, I will tip my cap to you for that. They've been, we had a month fantastic. without them, so I had to bounce back in a big way. You doubled down. You doubled down. Speaking of doubling down. I have no, I have no way to connect that segue to Shutter Island, but I did want a, a segue to Shutter Island. So let's pretend that some doubling down, double duly appointed federal marshals because <laughs> there's two. That's true. We've got a pair of them, Leo and uh, and Mark Ruffalo. So yes, Shutter Island from good old 2010. We have a very limited set of excuses to talk about Martin Scorsese on this podcast because his success rate with Oscar is really, 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 really good. And even when a movie doesn't perform to the, like, best picture heights for something, you know, that he's done, be it a Age of Innocence or a Kundun or a Silence. You could call all of those maybe slightly disappointing from Scorsese's standards, but like they're all getting nominations somewhere, right? It's very, very mm-hmm. few that get absolutely nothing. So this will be our second Scorsese movie after doing Bringing Out the Dead. And it's there are only two movies from After Hours, which was the last one before Bringing Out the Dead that he did to have no Oscar nominations, which was 1985, which, by the way, I think that would be an interesting episode for us to do. It would be our oldest I would say movie. the same for um, King of Comedy. For King of Comedy also. Either one of those. Um, uh, After Hours winning the director prize at Cannes was what made me sort of like raise my eyebrow for that. I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, but so starting with The Color of Money in 1986, up through The Irishman in 2019, only two Scorsese movies have gotten zero Oscar nominations. And we're, we're now doing the second of two. Uh, we're doing Shutter Island. So it's a pretty good batting average. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned. So, but he's a really fascinating filmmaker to talk about, obviously. Just ask, you know, Twitter on any given day. And so we're happy to talk about it. And of course, this movie is like chock full of stars is the other thing. So like there's, you know, it's a really attractive prospect, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Yeah. So lots to talk about. Obviously, there's, you know, the Leo factor in this. There's the great supporting cast. There's the fact that this movie got bumped from fall 2009 because essentially Paramount ran out of marketing money for the year. Uh, times were tough in 2009 post Wall Street uh, implosion and the the scuttlebutt at the time because this was scheduled to be released in october of 2009 and it got bumped sort of at the last minute to february i pulled up the deadline article the written fink by article? none other than yeah. nikki fink yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh it got pushed at the end of august so like two months out from being released there was already a trailer that had been released the month before yes. And, like, apparently the test, the audience test scores were really great. The buzz coming out of, 
you know, uh, pre-release stuff was very good. And the rumor that I had heard, and this was, I only saw this on an IMDb trivia item, so like grain of salt. But the, uh, the, the thing about Paramount running out of money for, to market it was true, if, according to Deadline, at least. The Paramount, Brad Gray released the statement that was like, listen, times are tough, and... Uh, we're we're gonna push this to 2010 because we think it's strong enough to lead our you know giving it the best possible spin but acknowledging the fact that like we are in uh you know sort of tough economic reality so yeah i read that brad gray statement and it was like the the financial crisis yeah. like wrapped up into it which is really interesting i do kind of wonder though because i have a kind of hunch about this movie that they realized once it was assembled, even though, you know, it tested well, etc., that this was not that Oscar-y of a movie. I bet if you release this in the fall, sure. it still gets some nomination. I think but that's like, right. The this other- is about as straightforward of a genre movie as Scorsese has made. Granted, like, The Departed is a pretty straightforward genre movie. But it's a more palatable latter stage of yeah. uh, Scorsese's work. It's the one that you can kind of unpack the least a little bit. <laughs> um, and maybe some of that is like some of the things we'll get into, like a lot of the cliches that are kind of in this movie. Yeah. But before but, before we move on, though, I did want to finish my thought about that IMDb uh, uh, yeah. a bit, which was that Paramount in running out of marketing money, only had marketing budget at the end of 2009 for two films, and those two films were Up in the Air and The Lovely Bones. So in many (laughs) ways, Shutter Island lost a face-off to The Lovely Bones. And listen, that marketing money got Stanley Tucci an Oscar nomination, to date his only Oscar nomination. So, uh, and Shutter Island got none. So, uh, did that pay off? You, you, uh, you tell me. And obviously, Up in the Air did very well at the Oscars. But, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, bringing up the specter of the lovely bones is always, uh, it's a dark day. It makes for a dark it's day. It's the tomb in the middle of this podcast it is, house. It, it, it is indeed. So, but yeah, you're not wrong about the genre thing. I think one of the, and we'll sort of get into it once we get on the other side of the plot. But one of the um, issues with the reception of this movie, which at the time was pretty rocky, was this idea that it was dabbling in a few different genres and there was no real clarity in terms of like what kind of movie. Is this a horror movie? Is it noir? Is it pastiche? Is it, you know, sort of like psychological? Does it have big things to say? Or is it mostly being kind of pulpy? And and the answer to all of those questions seems to be yes to some degree or another. And I think mm-hmm. and I think because of that, that's also based on a Dennis Lehane novel, which like had he had already had films made by uh, Clint Eastwood and Ben Affleck by this point, obviously Mystic River and Gone Baby Gone, and um, Scorsese adapting a Dennis Lehane novel with DiCaprio coming off of The Departed all seemed to make sense, sort of on paper, and yet maybe it wasn't that seamless a fit when you get to. Uh, you know, what's on screen, which I will say, this is the second time I've ever seen Shutter Island after watching it in, in theaters. And 
I remember being pretty disappointed by it the first time, and I'm less of that reaction now. I still don't think it's a masterpiece. I still feel like it falls a little bit short, but like the stuff that's good in this is really good. I mean, the stuff that's good in it is the filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting that Scorsese would want to do this movie because I think like what's on the page is not all that good. It's pretty cliched. Yes. Even I guess the, you could say the twist is pretty cliched, even though I think they pull it off in a really good, emotionally affecting way. The thing that I think is interesting about this movie is like Scorsese, who's, uh, you know, one of our leading global cinema acolytes. What's interesting about it is that he's kind of, I feel like he's making a movie that's like a riff or like a kind of pseudo love letter to a lot of like East Asian horror films that, you know, that's a big influence passionate about. Yeah. He talked about before, you know, in the in the promotion of this movie, talking about screening several movies for his cast. And a lot of the ones that he talked about were sort of these old noir movies. He screened Vertigo, obviously. And um, what was the other one? Um, Out of the Past. So there was a lot of noir influences in addition to, like you said, the sort of uh, Asian horror stuff. Obviously, anytime you see a pale young girl ghostly walking across a frame, you know, you've got your influence right there. And (laughs) this was obviously also the same year that DiCaprio did Inception, which really kind of contributed to this trend of Leonardo DiCaprio playing uh, characters who are haunted by dead wives who he can't exactly let go of and who, you know, intrude in his thoughts and, and whatnot. And obviously Inception, I think is the much better movie, but um, definitely part of the trend. And I mean, here's the thing about Shutter Island. And again, I don't want to go into too much (laughs) plot before the plot description, but like this is a movie whose plot hinges on Ben Kingsley literally pulling out a whiteboard with names on it (laughs) that are like anagram, this to this, that to that. And you know, and we've talked about this before, Chris, that like uh, plot twists that hinge on names being anagrams for other names are are like i love it i think it's corny (laughs) as hell but like in a way that like i i it's catnip for me i really i i'm always the person who's like mentally being like that name sounds weird that that there's a couple extra vowels in that name that don't seem like they should be there why is that (laughs) and i start mentally sort of like trying to unscramble things in my head and uh, it's again, it's it's hacky, and yet I find it super funny. So the fact that this movie literally is Kingsley being like mono equals one and rail equals rail, uh, but about like, <laughs> but about uh, these anagram names. It's I I tweeted about it. If uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be a few weeks ago. Um, at the risk of spoiling uh, people on perhaps what we're doing for this episode, but I couldn't not because it's so funny to me. It's so silly in a way where I'm just like, you know what? Fine. Yes. You know what? Bring out that whiteboard, Ben Kingsley, like do it. I think it's doubly silly in context too, because we've pretty much already pieced it together. Yeah. And the fact that it's also like the link to the final link to everything is an anagram, you know, is... Yeah. It's just so goofy. Yes. Um, 
Well, in in his review uh, for, I believe it was the Boston Globe at the time, uh, Wesley Morris sort of called this out where she was like essentially the last half or at least the last third of the movie is really this parade of different actors stepping up in front of DiCaprio's character and explaining things to him. And, and, you know, in less and less elliptical as it goes along, you get like Jackie Earl Haley's scene and then you get like Patricia Clarkson in the cave. Who's like amazing. Uh, and like Patricia Clarkson as Kate Bush, <laughs> she ran up that hill and into a cave and started a fire. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, she, but like Clarkson is phenomenal, but all she's really doing is literally being like put the pieces together, monologuing over a fire. Yeah, just yeah. like talking about you know uh, experiments on mental patients after World War II, and and it's just like it's an it's amazing, but it's a monologue over a fire, like you said. And then we get into Kingsley, who, as I just mentioned, like pulls out a whiteboard, and then you get the um, the Ruffalo reveal, and so it it really is for a movie that is actually really great at visuals. I think the Robert Richardson cinematography in this movie is really kind of phenomenal, and we'll get into that too. But sort of, you know, really refusing to rest on darkness and shadows and making that darkness have a character and making, like, cloudy skies look as vibrant as anything with, like, a full color palette is... um, is really kind of amazing and very impressive. And obviously Scorsese's worked with Richardson a lot in his career, but this mm-hmm. is maybe one of their better collaborations together visually. And it's interesting that this was the one that didn't get uh, a nomination. And I want to talk about later. I'll definitely want to get into the craft of this movie. At yeah, some for point. sure. Um, but I guess there's no real reason why we shouldn't just jump into the plot description now and, and get on with it. But uh yeah, excited to talk about this one because again, like I said, I I like it a little bit more after watching it again this time while still acknowledging that like there's there's limitations on this that I think were were ultimately uh, impossible to overcome. So right, it's it's it, it's it's what's on the page, and it's more so I like I think this is an entertaining movie. I enjoy it. I'm again not going to put it towards like the top of scorsese movies but it does make me wonder well why did he want to make this movie especially as a follow-up to the departed which i had actually forgotten that this was the first you know uh fiction film he did post the departed right he does shine a light this rolling stones concert movie in 2008 but that's the only movie he does in between uh the departed and this so it's four years ultimately four calendar years at least um, between The Departed and Shutter Island. So there was a lot of expectation on this. And I think that kind of contributed to the mediocre reception that it got, certainly by critics. Mediocre, but still a $100 million grossing movie oh, released in February. It's his too. highest grossing movie. It's like, it's Scorsese, really? uh, at least at the moment it was, yeah. It was higher grossing than The Departed? Yeah. Wow. We can. I'll double check that while you're, uh, while you're. Because I thought The Departed was like 150. Pause. But I guess not. Pause. Hold on. Let me look. Now I'll now I'll double check. But I thought I had read that somewhere. Who knows about this? Everyone. The nurses. The the, the orderlies. They, they couldn't possibly know. Everyone. Okay. Well, it's very close. It must have shifted after that. After this uh, thing that I had read that said that Shutter Island was his uh, highest. It must have shifted. Departed domestic 
is 132 million and Shutter Island is 128. So both incredible. There are stones throw from each other. Yeah. So I could imagine like The Departed managed to eke out, you know, some sort of, you know, maybe re-release or something like that. I don't know. Um, or maybe I'm just wrong. I can't believe that that would be the case, but you know. Inflation. Uh, yeah, something. Exactly. Well, anyway, uh, it's definitely up there with his most uh, profitable movies. Let's say that. Let's let me off the hook and say that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yes, incredibly, incredibly profitable. But critically, it was for certainly given how his movies have been received critically in the last, let's say, you know, five years or so, or basically since Shutter Island, because since Shutter Island, it's been Hugo, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, Irishman. And like, of those, Silence is the only one that sort of perplexed a little, critics a little bit, and that was still pretty well regarded. So um, it's interesting that Shutter Island is kind of the last Scorsese movie to not have gotten kind of a critical benefit of the doubt. How do you feel about Hugo? Have we ever talked about Hugo? Hugo's a movie I'd like to revisit. At the time, I remember feeling a little bit underwhelmed relative to its performance at the Oscars. It did so well at the Oscars. I was pretty underwhelmed by that movie. It, It probably finished within the top two or three. I remember, like, there was a time where people still thought it could be the spoiler to the artist, that it could be the mm-hmm. movie to win. And, and and Scorsese at the time, even when people were like, well, the artist might win Best Picture, but, like, Scorsese very well could win Best Director. And I remember feeling underwhelmed relative to that, but I probably owe it a rewatch. But I... but. People really did like it back then. Like it wasn't one of those yeah. like fraudulent Oscar movies that sort of, you know, felt very out of place there. You know me. I and probably. The- I don't feel so inclined to revisit it, but I probably should. That's the thing. I mean, it's the Scorsese movie that I showed up to with a very show me attitude. Yeah, yeah. And I think and it's I because just- of the sort of there's a there's an element as you even look at like the trailer for it of forced whimsy that. I'm always going to be a little bit resistant to, but I mean, it's a Scorsese movie. I probably, I I think it's, I owe it a rewatch more than I looking forward to a rewatch. If that's maybe sort of what you're, what you're getting. That's at. probably fair. That's probably how I would approach it too. Yeah. But um, anyway, so uh, let's get back into Shutter Island, the 2010 film directed, of course, by Martin Scorsese, written by Leta Cal... Sorry, I'm going to say this again. Calogrides? 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 All right, I'll say that. Written by Leta Calogrides, based on the novel by Dennis Lehane, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley, Michelle Williams, Patricia Clarkson, Max von Sydow, Emily Mortimer, Ted Levine, John Carroll Lynch, Jackie Earl Haley, uh, Elias Koteas is also in this, playing um, uh, a figure out of Chris's sexual nightmares, and... Uh, the film <laughs> premiered on February 13th, 2010 at the Berlin International Film Festival, opened wide a week later on uh, February 19th, 2010 in the United States. Chris, I'm going to grab my phone. I'm going to set you up with a stopwatch and you will be all set. For a Let's see if I can do this. We are trying to get back to 60 seconds. Listen, do, do your best. It's a long movie and there's a lot going on. All right. Your 60 seconds starts now. 
Okay, Teddy Daniels is a mid-century federal appointed marshal arriving to the island-bound Ashcliffe Hospital in the mission to find Rachel Solando, a missing patient in an insane asylum. Solando uh, murdered her three children by the administration of the asylum, isn't super cooperative to his mission, um, and to Teddy and his partner Chuck. Meanwhile, during this investigation, Teddy experiences flashbacks to the trauma of his military service where he participated in the liberation of Dachau, and he also sees vision of his dead wife. Teddy reveals his wife was killed by arsonist Andrew Laetus. Um, who Teddy believes may be on the island. During the investigation, a slew of conspiracies begin to unfold, uh, including whispers of lobotomies, commies, reemergent, uh, 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 reemergent, uh, Zalando, um, who is possibly a plant by the, you know, administration, whatever, um, and the possible murder of Chuck. In a cave, Teddy Ten meets seconds. Fireside Patricia Clarkson, who claims to be the real missing Zalando and that the asylum has been running all kinds of nefarious experiments on patients. In a climactic showdown in the lighthouse, Teddy confronts his head shrink Dr. Colley about his suspicions only to have Colley reveal that Teddy is in fact Laetus and has been adopting a new personality over his guilt over killing his wife after she drowned their three kids making her the vision of Solando and all of this was an elaborate attempt to break through to Laetus psychosis to thwart inevitable lobotomization it does break through to Laetus however it does not hold and Laetus is likely sent to his lobotomy alright only 25 seconds over you know what that's fine that's uh only damn shit <laughs> it's a lot of movie it's a lot of movie going on it's a lot of movie yes all right so shutter island i you reading off that plot description gave me a, a thought of tim curry in clue which uh i say that uh, i just wanted to say that you know the holocaust is just a red herring because it is pretty much <laughs> just a red herring in this movie that they're so you're led to believe unless that you envision shutter island as a movie about trauma well of course it's a movie about trauma like uh it's it's another elevated horror but, about trauma. but it's trauma about him killing his wife and his wife killing their kids rather than anything to do with his experience like his experiences yeah, in the his, war his world war ii ptsd ultimately amounts to little other than upsetting imagery in the movie. Well, when Kingsley reads off the his file at the end where it says um essentially like you you participated in the liberation of Dachau, but you did this thing, the story you told about gunning down all of the guards there uh did not to the best of their knowledge happen. So, a lot of right. the more sort of extreme actions that we see in flashback at Dachau didn't happen or sort of are you know made up in his in his traumatized mind at this point so it's an interesting thing the the twist of it I was kind of okay on whatever like it's 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 hard for me to watch the movie a second time and remember how I experienced the twist the first time because knowing that it's coming you're you're obviously more prepared for it and i don't remember feeling burned by the twist or feeling like it was an unfair twist but it it's a revelation it's you know i think it fits with everything else in the movie it ultimately is okay i think the part that i really like is the actual last scenes where because um, Kingsley, after, you know, they have the breakthrough with him and Kingsley says to him, you know, this happened a little while before you had a breakthrough and then you backslid. And because the whole thing is we need to have you come around because you're you're 
dangerous and violent and you're hurting people and they want to, the administration wants to lobotomize you uh, for your safety. And so we need to have you acknowledge this delusion so that we can avoid you getting lobotomized. And so at the very end, you see him backslide again. Ruffalo sits down next to him and he's almost immediately. Right, too. right. And he's, he's, and, and he says, you know, Chuck, we got to figure out what's going on. We got to, you know, we got to crack this case. And Ruffalo sort of sadly looks over to Kingsley and nods and is like, yeah, we got to do this. That we got to lobotomize glance, him. Yeah. But then DiCaprio says this last line about, you know, the, the, long, the longer I'm around here, the more I think, is it better to um, die an, an honorable man? than to live as a monster. And then he sort of walks off willingly to go get this lobotomy. And you sort of get the sense that, okay, well, he knows... He might be choosing it, yeah. He's choosing to do this because he doesn't want to live with the truth of what he's done. And choosing to have a lobotomy allows him to escape that without also being, you know, a violent and dangerous monster. So um, that ending, I think, is really effective and i think dicaprio plays it well and i think ruffalo plays it really well and 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 scorsese for as sort of heightened as everything else is in the movie underplays that really effectively so like i like the very very end of the movie probably more than i like the reveal of the twist right i i would say in the final 15 minutes of this movie um what i find really impressive is dicaprio's performance i find him to be often a very mannered Mm. performer Mm -hmm. in a way that like i feel uh, limited in my appreciation of his work in the way that a lot of other people do because of that manneredness that i don't actually see in this scene where he's like kind of exposed and saying essentially it's a confession scene yeah um i i think he's incredible in that scene um well, this was also around the time where I had gotten a little frustrated with his sort of career and his, what I thought at the time, and I wrote about this at the Atlantic around the time of um, the Revenant was coming and the beach just had this big anniversary. And the thing that I wrote for the Atlantic was like, the beach was the last time that DiCaprio truly um, took a chance with a movie in in that he had spent so much of his career around that time of like the late aughts, early to mid teens, working exclusively with incredibly established directors, whether it's Scorsese mm-hmm. or Edward Zwick, Sam Mendes, Ridley Scott, Clint Eastwood, Tarantino, even by this point, and and Inyaritu, and this essentially directors who were a little bit insulated from delivering something truly disastrous. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's what happened with the beach where Lurman at that point, or uh, sorry, Danny Boyle rather by that point had done train spotting, but then had like had a stumbling block with a life less ordinary. And the beach was not a sure thing. And ultimately it, it got, pretty much savaged by critics and was not a success and was a pretty high profile failure. I think it's a fascinating movie. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's a fascinating movie that I kind of think we should do at some point for the podcast. Um, But anyway, that 
by this point in his career in 2010 and certainly it would continue going with like Jay Edgar and and you know um, uh, another Scorsese movie with Wolf of Wall Street and um uh, into the revenant and whatnot that even though the revenant was sold as this incredibly daring feat of acting it's still a succession of movies with directors who were like revenant was coming directly off of a best picture win for inyaratu you know what i mean like mm-hmm. these were not risky projects and i think dicaprio for his strangely i think the riskiest project is great gatsby i said um, that i said as much in that article actually where it was like lurman was coming off of australia with that one and and yes that one i i would i would agree with you was the riskiest but even that is like maybe risky to you know a six out of ten rather than like right you know right but anyway so uh, this was around the time where i think i had sort of a certain degree of frustration and i think i i go hot and cold with dicaprio and certainly tend to go colder than the general feeling is towards him i really loved him in i thought he was the perfect match for inception i really loved him in once a time once upon a time in hollywood which i thought was that's like my favorite performance of his. I, I I said walking out of that movie, I was like, "This is what it's like to really love a Leonardo DiCaprio performance." It, it's uh-huh, I got uh-huh. out of that what people seem to be getting out of Wolf of Wall Street or or you know uh, The Departed even, which like I like The Departed. I love okay. The Departed. I don't, and so um, I was I was really happy to have gotten Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I kind of wish that that was his Oscar instead of The Revenant, and. I don't know. We can make, play that what if game all day, but um, <laughs> I don't. Shutter Island. I don't think he's bad in Shutter Island, and I like that he delivers that final scene really well. Um, but I think he's great in this movie. I think say, talk about that to a certain degree. Inception kind of overshadowed this movie, yeah, and his performance. It was the bigger movie. Obviously, it does eventually become a Best Picture nominee Mm -hmm. and it becomes the Oscar movie between the two DiCaprio movies this year. And I think it's more reverent of his star persona than Shutter Island is in a strange way, even though, you know, that movie has its concept. It's, they're both ensemble movies, but you get more time with the rest of that ensemble and Shutter Island's kind of hangs more directly on his shoulders than inception does but inception is the one that kind of got like the leo heat and momentum but i do think that this is substantially a better performance from him i would say shutter island is the one to me that caters more to his star persona than than inception does which isn't to say that inception doesn't but like shutter island really does sort of like hand him a lot of capital a acting to do and you know you know sell the twist and act you know crazy and your you know your mental state is fraying and your your i don't know like you know these memories are too much and he's got the big even his big scene with michelle williams at the end of the movie is a lot bigger than his big sort of similar scene that he has with Marion Cotillard in in Inception. And and I get where like you and I probably just like are on two sides of a coin for that. And I'm definitely on the Inception side. But um I I do want to push back a little bit at that sense that Shutter Island doesn't cater to his star persona because I really do think it does. And like flatters him in a way. I mean flatters him 
sure, but I also think Inception does, because it's like, Inception, the way that he's shot in that movie, the way that he is costumed in that movie, it's... It's very much reverent of even just the idea of what a movie star is in a way that I don't think Shutter Island is. Yes, although, again, and again, we're just going to disagree on this. I think Shutter Island (laughs) is treating him as a movie star in just a different type of movie. Yeah, I think, just in general, I think Shutter Island is selling a a different movie star directive in a way i don't know Mm -hmm. i think ultimately we're just sort of you know agree to disagree territory with that but um even though i think we largely agree that he's good in both of these yeah 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 Yeah, i don't think he's bad in shutter island there's there's um i tend to be a little bit more guarded when a, a an actor like this is given these sort of big moments to play i don't know Mm -hmm. um DiCaprio is someone that I run on the colder side of, too, because even when he's doing these bigger acting moments and he's, you know, working with the same directors over and over again, Mm. it feels like an engineered way to look like something is riskier than it is. I don't know. This, This could also be me being an asshole, but... I don't know. Like, he's doing another Scorsese movie uh, for Killers of the Flower Moon, which rumors are already starting to begin that that might be pushed to next year, but I'll start to believe them when I see it in, like, a trade. Right. Um, I just read that book, loved it, really excited for this movie, really excited for what Lily Gladstone's going to get to do. Right. But the role that DiCaprio is playing, I feel like on paper gonna look like a risk in the way a lot of his other stuff does but i feel like i already know exactly what that performance is gonna be and that's just not exciting as an audience member it's not as exciting as somebody who's like excited by something unexpected he does like in once upon a time in hollywood yeah it'll be his sixth i believe collaboration with scorsese and Uh um that's obviously you know, interesting and worth note. The 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 story was always that you know Di- Scorsese went from De Niro to DiCaprio as sort of you know shifting muses kind of a thing. Shifting muses, by the way, they'll both be in this one. Yeah, shifting muses is my 1990s alternative band that. Uh, uh, is very <laughs> I, my fa- my favorite um, Celine Dion chorus is "What do you say to shifting muses." <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, I, I, I too am very excited for that, uh, that movie, even though obviously I, I didn't read, uh, anything. Um, but Shutter Island. Okay. So the DiCaprio performance, we sort of went over, where are we on the supporting cast of this movie? Because one of the things that I really remember going into this film was, um, and again, this was initially set to be a fall release and it's a Scorsese movie and it's a follow-up to The Departed. So like the Oscar buzz was pretty active for this, but we didn't know a ton about it, even though the Lehane book was an available text. But even from reading the Lehane book, you looked at the casting, especially for the supporting actresses, and it wasn't quite clear what would emerge as the sort of quote-unquote supporting actress contender back when we assumed that there would be. And 
whether it would be Michelle Williams playing the wife. Uh, obviously, you could read that book and have no idea how much or how little Scorsese was going to feature the wife. Emily Mortimer is there playing the sort of fake Rachel Solando. Um, she's ultimately not in it very much. And then Clarkson gets the big scene. And at this point, mm-hmm. Clark- she's featured in the trailer. Too. She's featured in the trailer. You got the sense in the trailer that she was going to have more than just that one scene, but she didn't. That she was going to come in and freak it. Right. And she does in just a very limited way. But also by this point, she had only the one Oscar nomination in her whole career. It was kind of amazing that she had managed to make it through the entire aughts only being nominated for an Oscar one time for, I would argue, and I often do, um, a pretty mediocre performance in a bad movie, Pieces of April, in the same year where we've we've done our episode on The Station Agent. We, we both think she's phenomenal in The Station Agent. And... Um, would have been a better movie. But so you look at where she was at this point in her career. She's doing smaller roles in, you know, like Woody Allen movies. She's in Vicky Cristina Barcelona and whatever works. Um, And then she's doing lead roles in really, really small movies that really don't make much of an impact, even among like indie cinema, like something like Cairo Time, where she's very well reviewed. But like, that was a really, really, really niche movie, or even like uh, *Elegy*, um, her and Ben Kingsley uh, together again, uh, and um, that's a really, really, really small movie that doesn't make a ton of impact. And then, you know, it's stuff like *All the King's Men*, which we talked about, which like she's got a s- supporting role in that, and ultimately that movie's a disaster. She's supporting in like *Good Night and Good Luck*, but not like featured supporting. Um, same thing with Lars and the Real Girl. And so 2010 comes along, and I think there's the sense among us dorks who follow the stuff and, and sort of <laughs> look forward to this. And we see that trailer and we're like, finally, like a spotlight role for Patricia Clarkson. Maybe she'll get an Oscar nomination out of this. And I know that was sort of on my wish list looking at this movie. And I think ironically, for as good I think as she is in this one scene in this movie, I think her superior performance this year comes in Easy A, which I think she... I was going to say Easy A. tremendously funny. Her and Tucci playing um, uh, Emma Stone's parents in that movie are a goddamn delight. The closest thing to a spotlight that she has gotten, except for maybe Mother Lover on SNL. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, and even during that stretch, like, you would think, like, oh, well, she clearly probably had, like, a TV thing like she's on six feet under a little bit. And I like, I loved her on six feet under, but that's still just sort of a, a recurring guest star. She shows up on a couple episodes of parks and recreation tremendously playing Ron Swanson's ex-wife. Um, but again, it's only really two episodes and she doesn't show up on even like, she's got a stint on house of cards, but that's not till 2017. And when people stopped watching that show. Right, exactly. And then she's phenomenally good in Sharp Objects. Uh, but that's 2018, so that's already well, well beyond Shutter Island. And even that one, poor Sharp Objects, which I thought was so tremendous. Sharp Objects got screwed, well, like, all around. Everybody's so good on that show. Everybody's so good, but it aired in the summertime, and it wasn't eligible for Emmys until, like, essentially... 11 months after it premiered. And so it was such a long wait. And by then 
people had moved on to other things. I want to sort of, I want to f- find who beat her for the Emmy that year because, um, da, 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 it was. Listen, there's only one limited series that has, uh, uh, what's the, who's the, what's oh god it just escaped me his last name the best the actual best Chris better than me oh Chris but, Messina uh, oh duh, Messina I I threw his last name out of my mind after he bleach blonde dyed his hair because no I was like, he looks dead so to me. nope he looks so hot in that I refuse nope, dead to me nope. dead to me dead to alive, me but when was he alive, most alive to me alive with pleasure when for he me, was so. yanking yeah. in sharp objects he does yank it in sharp objects that is true um i will not deny him that patricia clarkson lost the emmy award that year to patricia arquette in the act which i will not forgive i'm sorry it's so Who else was nominated too? Because that was like a it almost felt like Patricia Clarkson might not even get nominated because it was such a stacked year. Who else was nominated? Well, When They See Us was that year, which got nominations for Vera Farmiga and Marsha Stephanie Blake. Um Margaret Qualley got a nomination for Fosse Verdon, because Michelle Williams that year was the one who beat Amy Adams for Sharp Objects. Right. Um Emily Watson for Chernobyl. And so I think like Clarkson, I think, is clearly the best in that category and it really it's one of those things where you watched sharp objects when it aired that summer and we're like i'm very happy that patricia clarkson's gonna win an emmy because not only is she great but it's a really spot it's a it's a spotlight role and you know again 11 months later actually by the time the emmy awards came came along it was 14 months past when that show premiered so like really really was old news hbo really did not do right by that by that show i would say and also i think audiences i remember being very frustrated with people who were just like you know uh, oh well it's you know it's a little slow it's a little you know uh, not engaging or whatever and i was just like fuck you I they wanted it to be a big little lies juggernaut and it was never gonna be something like that it's a show about munkhausen by proxy right um and self-harm and it's it's a dark show uh yeah. patricia clarkson's best scene is her telling her daughter she never loved her. right right exactly um but again really just a bummer that she did not win. She had actually won a couple of Emmys for Six Feet Under for Guest Actress, which I had forgotten about. But that's kind of her... For somebody who is as... And she did win the Golden Globe for Sharp Objects because that because the Golden Globes happened, you know, only five months after Sharp Objects. It really mm-hmm. is an object lesson in timing in these things. But anyway, um, for somebody who has been as acclaimed and as popular as she is, she really hasn't won a ton of awards it's not like there's so many opportunities for you to like look up a patricia clarkson acceptance speech which is um a bummer i'm sort of scanning through uh she won the special jury prize from sundance in 2003 because she was there with three movies station agent all the real girls pieces of april she won a saturn award in uh, 99 for the green mile which she has one she has one scene and she's you know uh, sick and dying in bed um she has won a bunch of like critics awards but in terms of just like awards show stuff we are sorely underrepresented in the give patricia clarkson a statue and let her give a speech uh the movie i'd love to do to talk about patricia clarkson is high art oh she's so good in high art she's katya zamalochkova in that movie (laughs) it's so good it's great (laughs) 
we got to do she's that. She's a heroine. Obviously, actress, I've so talked a lot so about the Ali Sheedy uh, Independent Spirit Awards uh, acceptance speech. We could do a whole, you know, half hour on that again. And yeah, we got to do. We got to do high art. So good. Uh, but anyway, where were you on? What were your standouts from the supporting cast of this movie? Uh, well, Mark Ruffalo's really hot in this, but I mean, even that gets eclipsed in 2010 because Mark Ruffalo is just like is stratospherically hot and the kids are all right. Finally gets his um, first Oscar nomination for that after so many years of him being worthy in other things. Obviously, he should have been nominated for You Can Count on Me back in 2000. We should have never had, you know, any kind of conversation about when is Ruffalo going to get his first Oscar nomination because he should have gotten it right off the bat. But yeah, he's off the charts hot and kids are all right. It's one of those things where it's like, I can imagine, and I don't think this was Lisa Cholodenko's calculations, but I can imagine in my head some meeting somewhere where they're like, we have this movie with a lesbian couple where we're going to cast it with two incredibly popular actresses. And the audience that's going to come to see it is going to be very invested in a lesbian couple in this movie. So how, how are we going to deal with the audience reacting to one of those women having sex with a man in this movie? And so you cast the hottest leftist you can imagine. This is the thing. <laughs> This is the thing, is you're like, we have to cast this in the most undeniable, no jury in the world could convict, we, you know, uh, uh, anybody in that situation would have done the same thing, and and it's like, well, and somebody, imagine, like, pulls down this, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, pulls down this poster of, like, Ruffalo. And it's like they're playing Guess Who and it's just like, like example 40-year-old a, actors. This guy right here at this moment in time. And yeah, he's uh, he's scorching in that. So, yeah. I also loved Max von Sydow on this rewatch where it's sure. like he's he's the malevolent uh, pro-lobotomy guy in the background all the time. But he has the scene where DiCaprio is like, stopping him and he's like so it's like he's almost laughing at him like okay what are you gonna do like because of course he knows what's going on right and it's it, it's just it's that like malevolent presence that just kind of chuckles at your attempt to stop them uh i found very interesting max von Sydow uh, as dr schmengela in this movie essentially which <laughs> yeah I also had entirely forgotten about Ted Levine's big say, scene in this I'm movie, glad you brought it up. which is so good. One of the scariest things in the movie where he just like looks at DiCaprio and he was like, what does he say? It's something along the lines of, so what would you do if I just bit onto your eye? I, How long yeah. would it take you to stop me? Would you be able like to that? fight me off, essentially? Like, listen, this is... Before I burst your eye with my teeth. This is a 139 minute movie. This is a movie that probably could have held up to some cuts. This is a scene that is almost entirely extraneous except for thematic connections. And even that is kind of tenuous. You absolutely could have jettisoned this scene and the movie would have continued going on as just fine. And yet it plays out in full, I imagine. If there was anything cut from this scene, I would be incredibly surprised because it does kind of go on and on and on. Um, and it's such a treat to watch Ted Levine, who, again, is costumed. I will say the costuming in this movie is also fantastic. Is costumed. Technically, he's the warden of this, you know, Shutter Island uh, mental hospital slash prison. And yet there is something 
decidedly SS to his costuming, mm-hmm. whether it's the hat or the gloves. I mean, Max von Sydow. Oh, the same thing, right? Where everything is yeah. is sort of plausibly, um, you know, rides this line between reality and Teddy's visions of Nazi conspiracies. And so, and he plays it as this essentially, um, God, I'm not going to come up with the right name of the philosopher, but who these sort of, you know, uh, man is at his heart a the violent nature of man and and only the thin line of of society is keeping us from all essentially devolving into primal beasts who are going to bash each other's skulls in for our next meal and this very sort of fascistic sense of social order and and he delivers it straight and plain there's no he's not you know sneering he's not he's not tipping his hand in any way which i think makes that character all the more terrifying that he doesn't actually Mm -hmm. tip his hand it's a really really great scene actually i'm glad you brought it up you know one thing i'm glad you brought up you mentioned the costuming in this movie Mm -hmm. done by living legend sandy powell yeah did she get nominated so this year? Oh, we have a we have a quiz. Uh yes, Woo-hoo! you 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 the pieces came together <gasps> in your brain Exciting. at the right time. All right. I almost did this for Robert Richardson, but Joe, you'll remember back a few episodes ago. I forget which one it was. The, but either the way, Zimmer, the Zimmer quiz. The Zimmer quiz. What was that for? That was we ch- for... I challenged you to name all of Hans Zimmer's Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. And I think we've come up with a new game. Until we have a different name for it, I'm just going to call it the Hans Zimmer game. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. I think what we should do if we do these, it's a great way to talk about some legendary crafts people. Yeah. I think we do it for people who have... 10 or more nominations, maybe not 10. Maybe we'll do eight sometime. Sure. I almost pulled this out for Robert Richardson for you. Mm-hmm. But Robert Richardson's pretty easy because like all of his nominations are like Oliver Stone, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, and then I think there's one or two more. Sure. So it would have been easy. So instead, for you, we're going to be doing, for the Hans Zimmer game, Miss Sandy Powell. All right. So here's the rules of the Hans Zimmer game again. You just get to guess whichever nominations are out there in your brain. And if you get them off the bat, great. We won't break those down. From there on, you're going to get a series of clues, which are the first, you'll get the year of the nomination. If you can't get that from uh, the movie, your, your next clue is the number of nominations for that film. From there, the number that it won. And then the last hint will either be the categories that it won, or if it didn't win any, you're going to get the categories it was nominated for. Okay. All right. By the way, we did... Sandy Powell has three Oscars. Can you name them? Okay. I do want to... I want to dip in and just say that we did the Hans Zimmer game for the Da Vinci Code episode. Ah, yes. All right. Sandy... See, this is the problem. And this is where I maybe am going to get excommunicated from certain... Uh, circles is (laughs) i tend to conflate sometimes the sandy powell oscars with the colleen atwood oscars and and oh god all right so sandy powell has no tim burton oscars though right 
Right. That's the thing is you can at least pull out to that. Um, but the other thing is like the sand, like, so the directors I associate. Okay. So I'm going to like come at this from a little bit of an odd angle, right? Where I'm just going to try and go for not necessarily the wins. Cause I don't think she won, but I know she did the costumes for velvet gold mine. Correct. That's the first one that comes into my head. I know she did the cost. Maybe I don't know. Did she do the costumes for the young Victoria? She won for the young Victoria. Okay. All right. That's one. That's something. Did she do the costumes for the aviator? She won for the aviator. Okay. Um, so you're missing one of her I'm wins. One of her wins. Okay. Sandy Powell. How many total did you say? Um, hold, please. I should have put that in my spreadsheet. Didn't. Wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Can we also just say, while I'm pulling this up, Sandy Powell, the coolest motherfucker on the planet. Oh, absolutely. Every picture of Sandy Powell is like, well, she's the fucking coolest person that exists. She looks half the time like Ziggy Stardust. She's, uh, you know, she's super amazing. I saw her one time. They did a screening of Carol, I believe it was, at the Metrograph. And it was her and Haynes. And, uh, um... I can't remember who else was there. Christine Vachon. And it was super awesome. And I loved it. We're talking about 15 total nominations, including her three wins. That's a lot. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, But you already have three of them. You guessed Velvet Goldmine. You guessed The Young Victoria and The Aviator. All right. So what other... I'm trying to think of maybe stick with like scorsese for a while because he he is kind of brand loyal for a lot of this kind of stuff so i'm gonna say gangs of new york correct gangs of new york all right um hugo incorrect no hugo okay all right i flew flew too close to the sun with that one (laughs) Right. Uh, oh, sorry. I uh, I was in the wrong place in my spreadsheet. Hugo is actually correct. She oh. did do Hugo. Fantastic. All right. So now I've got how many correct? That's like five. So I've got. That is five. You are missing more. 10 nominations. Would you like me to start with your clues from the beginning or do you think you can get some more? Okay. I do recall that I think, because I think I did this as a quiz, as a trivia question at one point, that her first nomination was for Orlando. Correct. Orlando. Okay. Um, are there any other Tildas now that I think of it? Um, you have already mentioned a movie that she's nominated for, but you didn't guess it. Oh, within this discussion? Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. And I didn't guess it? We were just sort of throwing stuff around? When did you see her speak? Oh, Carol. Yes, Carol. Okay. All right. So now I'm down to eight. All right. Yeah, start from the earliest. Okay. So her first, as you were uh, correct about, her first nomination was for Orlando. Uh, Her next nomination would be four years later in 1997. Is it Kundun? It is not Kundun. Okay. This movie was nominated for four Oscars. For four Oscars. In 1997. Can I ask whether one of them was a Best Picture nomination? That is That would be a part of your last clue. Okay. 
<laughs> We're not jumping ahead yet, sir. Okay. I'll give you your next clue if you're trying to push that along. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. The movie won zero Oscars. Okay. So Sandy Powell nominated 1997 for a movie with four Oscar nominations and no wins. Would it have been Boogie Nights? It was not Boogie Nights. Okay. 97, four nominations. Including costume design and a movie that, let's say, in the year of Titanic, uh, did not win. It's categories it was nominated for. Okay. Costume design. Yes. Cinematography. Yes. Adapted screenplay. Uh Uh-huh. And best actress. Wings of the Dove. Wings of the Dove. Correct. Such a good movie. Such a good movie, The Wings of the Dove. Okay. Her next nomination would be The Next Year with Velvet Goldmine, you guessed. Uh, And then uh, this would be one of the several years that she had multiple nominations. Her other one was also in 1998. I don't think she's Shakespeare in love. I don't think... This was but, a movie with 13 Oscar nominations. Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love, okay. her first win. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was not her. Okay. Um, Wouldn't uh, be nominated again until Gangs of New York in 2002, which you correctly guess. Um, then The Aviator, which she won for, for right. 2004. Her right. next nomination was in 2005. Okay. 2005. Sandy Powell nominated but didn't win. And what would have been oh five? None of the other ones that you'll be guessing are for wins. We've already right. you've already guessed all of her three wins. Right, right, right. Hmm. Memoirs of a Geisha? Incorrect. This is a movie nominated for two Academy Awards. Hmm. Okay. Nine or sorry, oh five. Um, two Oscars. It won neither of them. Yeah. All right. Let's think. Oh five. Costume. Uh, let's see. Is there a? Is there a Haynes in oh five? I don't think so. Um. Give me half a second. I, I, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> I think you can definitely do it if I give you the other category it was nominated for. Okay, what was it? Best Actress. Pride and Prejudice. Incorrect. Pride and Prejudice had like four nominations, and I don't right. think costume design. Um. Okay, so the other nominees were uh, Walk the Line, which I think had... Maybe more than two. Um, this is more- definitely the most forgotten movie in this Best Actress lineup, and probably this actress's least remembered nomination. Mrs. Henderson Presents. Mrs. Henderson Presents. Okay. Uh, her next nomination would be her third win for the Young Victoria. She would iconically get on stage and say, I already have two of these. <laughs> and her next nomination would be the very next year for 2010. 2010, so the year of Shutter Island. And it wasn't, obviously, for Shutter Island. 2010, what are the 
big, possibly Sandy-esque. Was this... God, I'm going to feel so dumb if I... No, 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 never mind, never mind. I think you're mind. there. I think you have this. No, I actually don't, because I was... The, the, the Duchess dropped in my head, but I know that that won, and that wasn't that year, so that wasn't her. Um, this is one of the few movies uh, that she's been nominated for where only her costume design was nominated. And so obviously she didn't win. Right, right. Um, Definitely a movie we've used as a punchline before. Oh, from 2010. And for some reason, I always think that this movie is a makeup nominee. <gasps> the Tempest. The Tempest. The Tempest, sure. Oh uh, okay, God. so next would be the next year. She's nominated for Hugo, as you guessed. Then in 2015, she was nominated for Carol, which you guessed, and also this film. What film? What film? Another movie that I will say she is the only nomination for. This movie, weirdly, people thought would get a bunch of nominations, and I thought people were a little wild for thinking that. Um, But Sandy Powell did get nominated. Okay. So, it disappointed. Hmm. Oh, gosh. I would would not say it disappointed. I think people... Oh, it overachieved? (laughs) No, because, like, it makes makes full sense that this movie was nominated for costumes. But people thought that it would be, like, production design, blah, blah, blah. I remember some people wanting it to get supporting actress. It's... Is it the, the the Disney Cinderella remake? It is the Disney Cinderella. Good job. Costumes in that were really good, I will say. I, I support I mean, that they're Sandy Powell costumes. They're always good. Yeah. Okay, so next we're moving on to 2018, which is another year, I believe her third, that she has multiple nominations. 2018. Two movies in 2018. I okay. bet you can get these without clues. Okay. Oh, gosh. All right. Um, I don't think she was the favorite. But I'm going to guess that anyway. The favorite. favorite, Yeah, okay. I'm doing really good on the ones where I'm like, it's not that. Okay. Um, (laughs) The favorite's the movie where she used all of these anachronistic design techniques. Right. And it totally enhances the movie. Right. Um, well, obviously Black Panther won that year. Was she Black Klansman? No. Okay. This is a movie nominated for four Oscars. Four Oscars in 2018. It wins zero. It wins zero. Well, rude, first of all. Um, Uh, No, not rude. (laughs) Not to me. Not to you. Okay, a movie that Christopher does not like. Okay. We've talked about this movie before in the context of its lead star, its lead actress. I mean, it's not The Wife. The Wife didn't get four nominations. Um, What are the other nominations? Costume design production design original score 
an original song. Oh, okay, 2018 original song. So what did Shallow beat out that year is the question. Um, oh, gosh. What were the other ones? Production design? Production design, original score, original song. Score, song. Mary Poppins Returns? Mary Poppins Returns. God, what an odd nomination. Okay. What a movie that is that does not exist. Yep, yep, yep. Totally true. Expensive, yep. popular movie that yep. does not exist. Yep. And then, okay, we're down to just one more movie. Her most recent nomination. It's 2019. 20... She actually shared this nomination. Oh. Interesting. Fellow nominee Christopher Peterson for this 2019 movie. What was 2019? Joker? Incorrect. Um, I I believe that was Mark Bridges, right? Mm, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, this is a movie that had 10 Oscar nominations. Okay. Irishman. The Irishman. That makes total sense. I don't know why I didn't guess that earlier. Of course it's The Irishman. Okay. And that is Sandy Powell's 15 Oscar nominations, <sighs> and that was the Hans Zimmer game. I thought I was going to do way worse at that, so... Good for me. Oh, I think you did pretty well. Good for me. All right. Um, now I want to go, though, delve into who were the other costume nominees at this year's Oscars. Because we said, what did we say? The Tempest was her 2010 nomina- nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen The Tempest, so I can't say whether her costumes there were better or worse than what she did in Shutter Island. But the other nominees were... Um, uh, Mary Zofries for True Grit, Jenny Beaven mm. for The King's Speech, Antonella Canarozzi for I Am Love, the Tilda Swinton, um, Luca Guadagnino movie. And the winner was, as I mentioned, Colleen Atwood for the truly dreadful Alice in Wonderland, one of my least favorite Oscar wins uh, of the last I don't know, my lifetime. What a fucking ugly movie. Too. Ugly movie, and it won... To win multiple design Oscars. It won three of them. It won three design Oscars. It's genuinely the, like, dumbest Not to thing. say that, like, the design Oscars should be going to the prettiest one, but... No, but if you're ugly, be ugly with a purpose. This was not, like, a, an intentionally... <laughs> don't be accidentally ugly, basically, is what we're saying. Right, essentially, like, yeah, like, don't... When I say this is ugly, I don't mean that it, like... For, you know, for film purposes. Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread saying, it hurts my ears. Us watching Alice in Wonderland, it hurts our eyes. Sorry, it only won two design Oscars. It was nominated for three. And it uh, it did not win for, I don't know which one it didn't win for, but like, thank God it didn't. And um, yeah, it won costume and it won art direction, which was... Should have gone to True Grit. Costume? Yes. I mean, sure. I liked the cost. But I mean, almost everything in that category movie. is better. I would say costumes that year. Now, let me pull up my own because I definitely have some thoughts on this. So, okay. Kind of entirely insane that Black Swan does not end up on this list. Like, what's going on? Um, I don't know. Really? I... You don't think so? I mean, it all goes into, like, the aesthetic of that movie, but I don't really think about the costumes when I think about that movie. I mean, 
I mean, I fair. think it would be a more appropriate like makeup nominee than a costume nominee. Well, okay, fair. Good. I'll, I'll give you that. All right. Other. It's a uh, lot of content- leotards. If you're talking about movies that were in Best Picture, I know we've just had a disagreement about this movie, but I think the costumes in Inception are fantastic. I and agree. I know it's just suits, but like you remember those suits. You remember the look of that thing. I think that thing is impeccably costumed. Listen, the way fabric just hangs off of Tom Hardy. It's not an accident. Like, it's not an accident. Yeah. You know, that's design, honey. Other Stuff that maybe was less uh, obvious and was probably never in the conversation, but like The Runaways was a really, really incredibly Ooh. costumed movie. The mm-hmm. uh, Dakota Fanning, Kristen Stewart movie, uh, The Runaways. Also, I mean, it's us, so I'm just going to throw burlesque out there because, again, it's gaudy, but like, th- that's better leotards than Black Swan. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, and of those ones nominated, yeah, I think, yeah, True Grit would have been a good win. I Am Love, which is not a movie that, like, I'm super infatuated with, but like, me either. What I would have given that over Alice in Wonderland. Um, I also want to, because they brought up Richards, Robert Richardson earlier. So the cinematography nominees this year, which are pretty good. It's a pretty tough lineup to crack. I think there is one particularly sort of obvious one you would take out of there I, for this was also the same year as Somewhere. So like we've talked about Somewhere and we've talked about how great Harris Savitas yeah. is with the cinematography for that movie. So that would have been my winner that year. So like, it would have been even tough in my fantasy lineup for Richardson to crack it. But so you look at the nominees. This was the year that Wally Pfister finally won uh, the cinematography Oscar for Inception. That has a lot of very showy cinematography. I think it's very good. But like it it makes a lot of sense that that's what he won for. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew Liebetik nominated for Black Swan. Jeff Cronenwith nominated for The Social Network. Roger Deakins got one of his many bajillion nominations for True Grit. And then I think the outlier even though I get why it was nominated beyond this, the fact that it's like the big best picture front runner, but Danny Cohen for the King's speech, which was that sort of famously those off center, you know, framings, the, the canted angles, all the sort of stuff that a lot of people found very annoying about the King's speech. But like it is, it calls attention to itself in a way that I'm not surprised Oscar voters went for, but that would be the one I would knock out. Of. I mean, I think in terms of the other Danny Cohen shot uh, Tom Hooper movies. It is definitely the least annoying. Oh well, um, yes. If you're tra- if you're judging by that, then yes. But that's a that's a tough uh, <laughs> that's a tough lineup, right? I there. think that would be a better Deacon's Oscar than the movies he would eventually win for. I gotta watch True Grit again. Everybody. Oh my god! I mean, uh, I'm telling you, when I say I sobbed watching it during the pandemic, I. <laughs> I liked True Grit, and then that's one of those movies that as the years have gone on, I'm like, I liked True Grit, but everybody else seems to, like, fucking love it. And I really, really probably should see it again just to see what whether my disconnect makes any sense or not. I but, mean, Haley Steinfeld, what a fucking star. If Jeff Bridges that. hadn't won the Oscar at that point, I think he probably would be my pick in this Best Actor lineup. Matt Damon is so great. Matt Damon, um, I think, is genuinely surprisingly very great. He and Elizabeth Marvel are the two actors who I walk out of that movie talking about, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Even though Elizabeth Marvel only gets that one scene at the end, but uh, she's really fantastic. 
incredible. Um, I mean, like, I I walked away from that rewatch being like, I can't say that True Grit is my favorite Coen's movie. I can't, I can't do it. But at the same time, it felt like there was this pushback against True Grit at the time being like, well, we're not going to support this as the, as the, like, great Coen's movie. Especially after... Uh, no Country for Old Men, and right. this is a noticeably, like, cuddly is not the right word when you actually watch it, but, like, in comparison... It's sentimental you know, it's in a way... It's sentimental in a way that a lot of Cohen's movies are not. See, but I think the sentimentality of it is... And, like, this is maybe the thing that made me really emotional, and maybe it was the context of watching it, you know, while the right. world is burning down, and, right. you know, everybody is making choices... Uh, that are very self-involved and not, uh, you know, considering the greater good, etc. Um, you know, the Cohen mo- Cohens make movies about how the world is populated with bad people, selfish people, selfish, bad, self-motivated, self-involved people. Yeah, and like True Grit is not that, but it is maybe the movie in their filmography that says. But sometimes there's people who do act out of selflessness yeah and you really have to cherish that when it happens but that um, that again that's a rare sentiment for the coens right but i don't think it says that in like a greeting card it's not goopy way. no 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 what I'm, I'm i'm not saying that when i say sentimental i don't mean goopy right. i just mean especially given drudging on the the sliding scale of the coens on the the right. grading curve of that it is one of their most sentimental movies if not their most sentimental movie is what i would say um i still I think it's pretty like tough and super violent um sure not taking it away I from that it. and again when i say sentimental i am not saying that as, as a pejorative like at all yeah. i'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. noting it because it's to me pretty obvious um other cinematography stuff that year i mentioned harris Savitas for somewhere was so fantastic um hoyt van hotima for the fighter i think that movie for being a best picture nominee underrated for how well it films those uh the the scenes the boxing scenes Mm. is what i will say i don't even remember the boxing scenes in that movie i have to say i mean they're the least interesting parts of it but like are done very well and I think are actually pretty suspensefully done. Um I just I'm I don't know. I really like that movie. It's fun it's it's not surprising to me that that is a best picture nominee that nobody really ever talks about anymore and besides the supporting actress performances actually. Mm-hmm. Um but and maybe that's just sort of our circles of uh you know whatever F slur. No, I think I think other circles don't really talk about that movie either. But like you make a joke about MTV girls and But that's what I mean. That's our my men she's gets swarmed. Like everybody else probably just forgets it entirely and doesn't even talk right, about right, the swarming right, actresses. Right, right. Um but anyway, back to Shutter Island. So uh because we still have, I think, a good deal to talk about. It was a um National Border Review selection for their top ten. That was the year they gave Best Picture to the social network. Um, obviously they had a lot of eventual Oscar best picture nominees in there. The fighter inception, the King's speech, toy story, three true grit winter's bone. They had the town, which everybody sort of, uh, agrees was the 11th, uh, choice for best picture that year. And then the mm-hmm. real outliers were shutter Island, 
Another Year, the Mike Lee movie, Another Year, which we just talked about Incredible. Uh, recently. Such a good movie. And then guess. the classic NBR sort of booby prize goes to uh, Clint Eastwood's Hereafter, which I remain furious we can't do an episode on in this uh, podcast because it got uh, one Oscar nomination. But That is a good Oscar nomination, though. If I remember correctly, those vis- that like uh, sequence is... At least the visual effects of it are pretty good. It's a flood, right? I've never seen her after, but it's like... It's it, a tsunami. It's a tsunami. That's what I mean. Sorry, not a flood. Yeah. A tsunami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, no, I would like an excuse to watch it just because all the reactions to it were so kind of dumbfounded. And uh, and yet it's it was a nominee. Movie. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll figure out a way to talk about it. Um, any other thoughts on that NBR top 10? Or that NBR uh, in general that year? Justice for another year is, all, is my only thought. It's so good. It's so very good. Masterpiece. It, uh, Shutter Island got one nomination from the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. Do you know what it? Oh, I put it on the outlines. So of course, you know it's what it Ben is. Kingsley. It's Ben Kingsley. It's an interesting choice for that. Not a bad one. I think he's actually no. very good in Shutter Island. But it uh, would be. It would only be stupid if they don't nominate him the next year for Hugo. <laughs> right. He's yes. He's a much more, uh, much more of a spotlight performance in Hugo in terms of awards ability. That category at the M4Gs for supporting actor is cuckoo bananas. You get only one Oscar nominee out of that bunch, and it's Jeffrey Rush for the King's Speech, which I guess that was a pretty young category that year at the Oscars. So, like, you're not going to nominate Ruffalo. You're not going to nominate Christian Bale for the Fighter. Who are the other ones? Christian Bale would have been fifty at this point. Really? I think. How old is Christian Bale? No, Christian Christian Bale would have to be in his 60s now for that to make sense. I mean... Hold on. Not the star of Swing Kids. Not the star of Newsies. Christian Bale's 48 years old, Chris. What are you talking about? What? Christian Bale? I thought he was like 60. Absolutely not. No, he's 48. He just, he just looks sixty those, because those he's harsh, done nothing but abuse. Those to his harsh, body. yes, exactly. All that all that abuse he's done to his body. Yeah, no, he's not fifty yet. So, who were the other two nominees that year? Who would have been twenty uh, ten? I've got it right here. I don't know why I'm like challenging myself. Why am I making it hard on myself? I can just look it right up right here. Uh, John Hawks and Jeremy Renner. So Renner definitely wouldn't have been, and Hawks is. Would have been right at that precipice because he's 62 now. So um, I do think they nominate him for the sessions, if I remember correctly. Yeah, which would have been yeah two years later. A few years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, John Hawks and Winter's Bone so good. Uh, John Hawks should have been nominated back to back years because after Winter's Bone, he did Martha Marcy May Marlene and was terrifying. Which is even he's so good. even better. We got to do that movie too at some point. I love okay. that movie. So the other, so in 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 place of all those whippersnappers at the Oscars who they couldn't nominate, the Emfrigies instead nominate Kevin Costner for John Wells's The Company Men. Sure. Bill Murray for Get Low. The the yes. um the Lil John biopic. Right? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> right. God, Jamie Foxx was good in that. Okay, and um, the winner. Who, which we must have talked about this category before because we've done Obviously. this movie. John Malkovich in Secretariat, which is a, a performance of just choice. sweater vests and hats. Like, yes. yes, what an odd, odd choice. 
Um, now I'm trying to think of like who would have been actors of a certain age who I might have thrown in there. And I guess all of my faves that year were pretty young. It's still like Ben Mendelsohn in Animal Kingdom, Michael Shannon in The Runaways, Andrew Garfield in Never Let Me Go. Um, they're all, I guess Tucci would have been. Would Vincent Cassell been 50? Oh, for, for Black Swan. Let's look him up. Um, I want you to go home and touch yourself. Stop quoting your text exchanges with Vincent Cassell. Um, no, he's <laughs> Vincent Cassell. I only recently discovered that Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci divorced like a decade ago. I didn't know they divorced. I definitely knew they were married, but I did not know that they divorced. Um, he's only 55 now, so he would have been uh, too young for that as well. So it was a pretty, pretty young year for supporting actor contenders. So I guess that's why it went uh, so off the rails for the M for G's. Um, in terms of Oscar precursors that like tend to portend to Oscar nominations. It did get an Art Directors Guild nomination for period film, which is a pretty, you know, Oscars do love their art direction in period films. The King's Speech won that year. True Grit was nominated. And then, again, Outlier Noms. Get Low was apparently just fucking everywhere that year. Still have not seen Get Low. Still don't know... uh... One day Get Low, we get high. (laughs) And then the... um, It's Ridley Scott who did this Robin Hood, right? The Russell Crowe, <laughs> yes, the, Russell the Crow Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. That, there are so many Robin Hood movies that are that are not real movies. They they don't exist. Was They're, that an Oscar nomination or could an Oscar nominee or could we do that? I think we could do that, but do we really want to do that to ourselves? I mean, I kind of am fascinated because again, I've never seen it, and I'm kind of fascinated as to like what it would have been. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've bookmarked about seven movies. Next podcast where we just do <laughs> talk about the various Robin Hood movies I've, and try to distinguish them from one another. Yeah, our Robin Hood spectacular. I know I've bookmarked about seven movies that we need to do in this episode, but uh, but there we go. Okay. Um, oh, I did want to mention one thing, and this is fully me just like going into my notebook and like pulling out uh, things that I jotted down. Um, I want to talk about uh, well, before we talk about the music, I want to Joe so- soap opera corner. Um, you know the woman when he's pulling up into the asylum and he's looking at everybody, and the woman with the scar across her neck who's like almost bald. Yeah, she's she's balding, and it looks like it was like I remember seeing her in the trailer. I was like, wait, is that Emily Mortimer in like makeup? It is not. She's super creepy in the trailer. Uh, that is actress Jill Larson, who played Opal on All My Children. And she's uh, her character in All My Children is like the kooky, eccentric, like Susan Lucci's character's best friend. She's like Erica Kane's like friend who's, you know, uh, very sweet and likable and kind of goofy. And maybe I can't remember whether she's a character who's like psychically touched. Like, you know what I mean? You know, how sometimes that like soap operas will have those characters who are like, sure, they're sure, goofy sure, or whatever. Sure. And like, and I had a vision and whatever. So like Opal's the best. And so it's so weird watching her show up in this as like the That's creepiest, so the creepiest possible character. And it's like, ah, Opal, what have they done to you? Um, I want to talk about the music because there is no original I was going to ask you if you had any comments on the nature of On the Nature of Daylight. I mean, you know I do. So there's no traditional score for this movie. Instead, Scorsese went to Robbie Robertson uh, from the band. And obviously, Scorsese has a longstanding relationship with Robbie Robertson from The Last Waltz and all this stuff. So uh, Robbie Robertson essentially assembles this soundtrack of 
various instrumental classical pieces. There's a Marcel Duchamp, and there's more modern stuff. There's some Brian Eno in there. And then the one that obviously stands out to me, and you get it in a scene, I think the first scene where DiCaprio uh, remembers Michelle Williams' character and sort of like falls the into one where, this that flashback. includes her like crumbling to ash, right? Exactly, and so that's set to Max Richter's uh, "On the Nature of Daylight," which at this point I can never remember the title of this totally nondescript movie that he actually wrote it for. Um, but it's the music that they use at the end of Arrival, which is my big touchstone for this, um, which gets me every time. Like it makes it. It so affected me when I first saw Arrival, and I can't hear this piece of music anymore without absolutely going back into that space. It's so devastating, but beautiful. And um, and for Shutter Island, this already pre-existing piece of Max Richter music, Robbie Robertson actually, I didn't realize he had produced this, but I guess he did. I saw in the credits, um, sort of mixed that instrumental with this Dinah Washington vocal um uh, this bitter earth, which they use over the credits, not the beginning of the credits, but like towards the uh, end of the credits. It's this very haunting uh, version of this song and the Dinah Washington vocal is so good. And I remember this specifically because they used it, I believe a Mia Michaels choreographed routine on So You Think You Can Dance one of those years around this time. Um, and I remember it being very sort of like peculiar, but also very good. So yeah, that was, I sent you a video of that as I'm like watching the credits and literally I'm just like tear in my eye, like watching this because this music's so beautiful. Um, what did you think of this, the music choices in this movie? I mean, uh, it, it is really cool. There, it feel, There's that like kind of rhythmic booming score that is very evocative of uh, Inception, making it another mm-hmm. um, kind of tie to that movie in the same year. There, it there's like kind, it makes it kind of evocative of The Shining, the way that it's like there's Penderecki music in it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think The Shining's Ooh. a good example. I think it also is helps to contribute to a lot of the Hitchcock illusions. Some of the music really mm-hmm. feels very sort of old school noir in a way that is, um, I don't know. It's very good. It's very effective. And I really like it. I think it's, it's, it's an element of experimentation um, in this movie that you probably wouldn't expect. You would expect a more traditional, like Hans Zimmer, Howard Shore score. Yes. Yeah. Howard Shore is a good, a good uh, uh, name to throw out. Have you seen crimes of the future yet? No, not yet, because I've had... A, My I babe, have, you gotta see it just for the Howard Shore I, score. My God. I want it. I do obviously want to see it. I've had um, uh, a sad tummy issues the last couple weeks, and I have oh. not wanted to see Crimes of the Future, a movie that very possibly may turn my stomach in a way that would make me resent the movie for doing so. I would rather sure. watch it in a place where I can appreciate the movie for doing so. <laughs> and uh, It's less gross than you think it's going to be, but sure. I totally understand that. Sure. I'm just going to, I'm going to let my, uh, I'm going to let the old tum tum recover a little bit more and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. Understandable. Um, what else am I? Uh, DiCaprio, the Wesley Morris thing, the cinematography. Oh, Jackie Earl Haley. I literally wrote down Jackie Earl Haley, this golem looking motherfucker, because really he sort of lurks in the shadows of this one scene that he's in. And he literally is sort of crouched in this very golem like posture. This was, mm-hmm. was, was my main thought of it. Um, 
I don't know. What did you think of that scene? Jackie Earl Haley, after the Little Children nomination, the kind of career boost that he got was still just like, we need you to play human Gollum, basically. (laughs) Right. In in the things that he would get cast in. Um, What's the one thing that I was like, oh, Jackie Earl Haley is actually really good in this, but they, they just want the guy to play creeps all the time. Yeah. Also, I made a joke about this in the lead up to the plot description, but like, am I not wrong that Elias Coteus is a creature out of your sexual nightmares? Why is it my sexual nightmare? He's got like staples in his face. Haven't you previously talked about finding Elias Coteus super hot? Just in Crash. Only in Crash. That's it. Okay, but this is like, he's, again, if scars are your stumbling block, I don't know why Crash would be your your go-to then. I don't think he, well, no, he does have scars. Yes, he does. Of course he does. Come on. Uh, well, I mean, every... listen, uh, <laughs> noted Allison Irahita Bop, we all have our scars. <laughs> wow, that is a pull. Uh, let me tell you, noted um, Allison Irahita Bop. Um, three nominations came this movie's way from the Teen Choice Awards, and I just want to talk about that for a second because. Are they all for Leo? Uh, no, only one of them is for Leo, but. Uh... Teen Choice Daddy, Mark Ruffalo. Leo does win choice movie actor horror thriller. Uh, He wins opposite, actually, his co-star in this movie, Jackie Earl Haley for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Oh, right. He played Freddy Krueger. Penn Badgley for The Stepfather. Iconic uh, IMDb game selection, The Stepfather for Penn Badgley. (laughs) Um, Mika Sloat for Paranormal Activity, the husband from Paranormal Activity. That is how popular that movie was, that it got an acting uh, nomination. And my personal choice for the win in this category, and it's such a great nomination, and I credit the Teen Choice Awards for being um, on the ball with this, Adam Brody and Jennifer's Body. I le- oh. I legit would have nominated him for best supporting actor that year. I thought he was so 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 good in that movie. Nice, well done. All right, what else do we have? Uh, Shutter Island gets nominated for Michelle Williams was nominated for choice movie actress horror thriller. Megan Fox actually wins that one for Jennifer's Body again. Rad. Um, <laughs> Katie Cassidy for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Now Katie Cassidy. I don't know if you if that rings any bells for you. She is an actress who is she the is she the first friend to die in the nightmare? I've not seen the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street because Rooney Mara is the lead. Yes, so that would make sense then that she would be the uh, the one who in the original gets killed on the ceiling. Yeah, um, very possible. Katie Cassidy had a few years there where he she was in every sort of CW esque. Um, primetime <laughs> soap drama she was in gossip girl briefly she was in the remake of melrose place i per personally loved her in uh the cbs summer junk mystery thriller harper's island that only lasted one season and was awesome um so katie cassidy is one of those names that's sort of like she's definitely i don't know what she's doing now but um uh hopefully all the best she's david cassidy's daughter um Rumor Willis nominated for Sorority Row, and good for Rumor. And also for Sorority Row, a hugely popular nom- uh, film at the Teen Choice Awards, Audrina Patridge from The Hills. So there's that. <laughs> and then finally, Shutter Island is nominated for Choice Movie Horror Thriller. It loses to Paranormal Activity, huge, like, the 
Bonanza, of course. That makes sense. A Nightmare on Elm Street is nominated. The Stepfather is nominated. And Splice is nominated. One of the wildest movies I've had the pleasure of watching. I've never seen Splice. Oh, Should I see Splice before we get into the whole Sarah Polly um, celebration? Oh, may- I was going to say maybe save it for spooky season, but like... I would check it out. Honestly, if you're in a Sarah Polly mood, like it's it's not like it's a powerhouse Sarah Polly performance, but like it is a uh it's a nasty little movie, I will say. And um yeah. Yes, I would say do it. Check it out. It's 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 real it's real uh, gross. Yeah, it'll make you feel gross <laughs> at the end. <laughs> so there's that. Um anything else you want to talk about Shutter Island before we move into the IMDb game? Um, um, uh, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDb game is all about? Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. All right, Chris, would you like to go first? Sorry, guess first or give first? How about I guess first this week? All right. So I went into the considerable filmography of Martin Scorsese. We talked about how we are very excited for his next film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, When I was on Little Gold Men to talk about this a few months ago and sort of look ahead at the Oscar prospects, um, we were sort of up in the air about what the lead supporting distinctions would it be for its two male stars, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jesse Plemons. And it's going to depend on how the movie is adapted without spoiling it for you. Yeah. It could go a lot of different ways. That's what sort of we were, we were wondering about. And Plemons obviously, uh, was sort of the hot hand coming off of the Oscars this year. So we were pretty high on him, but anyway, that's who I want you to guess for. I want you to guess the IMDb known for, for Jesse Plemons. Uh, speaking of teen choice, daddy. Oh my God. Shh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Jesse Plemons. Um, this is actually going to be hard. Cause he's in a lot of movies. I do have to wonder if, even though it's recent and it's Netflix, if Power of the Dog is there, and I do think it is going to be there because he got the nomination. Correct. The Power of the Dog. Cool. Okay. Um, Other People. Oh, sorry. The film Other People. No. Not Other People. He's phenomenal in that movie. He's great. I love Other People. Very good movie. Chris Kelly. Um, Love him. I have some reservations about the movie, but no reservations about him. He's so great. Um, the Master. No, not The Master. Shit. Two strikes. All right. So your remaining years are 2012, 2018, 2019. 2019 is The Irishman. It is The Irishman. Yes. So there's two Netflix on there. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, hmm. 2018, the year before, is probably Game Night. It is Game Night, a great film, Game Night. I would not say great, but there is some funny shit in that movie. I love Um, it. It's very good. uh, Rachel McAdams dancing with a gun 
is unfortunately very funny to me. (laughs) Yes, that's the only good gun content in anything. Yes. Um, Billy Magnuson and Sharon Horgan, A++. I love it. Don't love that stuff in that (gasps) movie. You're wrong. Uh, I have decided that his character is (laughs) queer-coded. Okay. That's for your own selfish purposes, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I won't go further <laughs> into that. Okay, what was the? Did you say 2012? And it's yeah. not the master. Correct. Okay, this is hard because that's the first time I ever saw him in anything. Oh, you are not a Friday Night Lights person. Do you really think that? Most, I know it's supposed to be a good show. Most of the people who liked Friday Night Lights were not the people you would expect to like a show called Friday Night Lights. Okay, like I stand by that. I mean, I I do think that's true, but I don't think that's a show for me. I think you would have liked it. It's probably it's too late now. You missed you missed your shot, but I think you would have liked probably. it. Probably. Yeah. Um So yeah, this is his first big movie after getting famous for Friday Night Lights. Okay. Big movie. So it's like Or Yeah, it's a big movie. Okay. Is it like a franchise? It wanted to be. I would imagine it wanted to be. It was definitely so. It was like a thwarted franchise. It definitely did not do well at all. It kind of killed the career of its lead star. Um, Jesse Plemons. I do not know how big his role in this is. He's pretty far down the the cast list. But it, and like, it was a career killer for a It was kind time. of a career killer. This movie and another movie in tandem kind of teamed up to like deep six this guy's career. It was the other movie in 2012? Um if it wasn't, it was like the year before, but I think it was. Hold on. Okay. Um his career would have yeah, been killed. Also 2012. Okay. He was actually in three movies that year that kind of like the third one was a little less high profile, but with a with a definitely established director, and it's a movie that I love, even though it's garbage. I know who this is. What? Taylor Kitsch. Yes. You're, yes. I'm speaking of, of course, Oliver Stone Savages, a great piece of shit movie. <laughs> and the Jesse Plemons movie is John Carter. It's not. It's the other one. What's the other one? Well, that's what I'm asking. Because that I don't. That I do not know. But I do know that. Uh, when you say career killer, yeah, I figured it out from Savages, and then it's John Carter, but I don't know what this other movie is. It's based on pre-existing IP, but not a film or a book or a TV show. Wow. Oh, is it Battleship? It's Battleship, yes. No. Yes. Not Battleship. Taylor Kitsch All I know the... about Battleship is that it has Rihanna. Yes, it sure does. Um, also, Liam Neeson and Alexander Skarsgård and uh, uh, Brooklyn Decker. Is, uh, it's a, but so Taylor Kitsch, within the span of like three months, had John Carter and Battleship. And it was like, watch watch a promising... And again, Taylor Kitsch, also Friday Night Lights, also was great on Friday Night Lights. And kind of everybody who loved him in that was sort of bummed out to watch him uh, crash and burn in this way. But uh, yeah. All right, what you got for me? Okay, well, unfortunately, I picked something that is much easier (laughs) than the Jesse Plemons known for. I went into the Dennis Lehane filmography, 
and pulled somebody that surprisingly we have not done. Um, I pulled Sean Penn. Get out of Oscar here! That we've never done Mystic Sean River Penn. based on the Lehane novel. All right, so I would be shocked if his two Oscar wins are not on there. So Mystic River and Milk. Correct. All right. Now it's a matter of how far back we go into his earlier stuff. I think this is going to be too easy. I should have dug further. It's so hard to pull names now that we haven't done that it's like the first thing I come across. The thing, though, I don't know, though, because here's the thing about Sean Penn is there's a way to outsmart yourself in this, for sure. Um, I don't think it would be anything after milk but i'm trying to think of like the like like what's his big like box office movie he doesn't really have any of those dead man walking dead man walking correct okay all right I should also note, he didn't direct any of these. Flag Day is not on here. <laughs> um, I can't imagine that Day. Sweet and Lowdown would be one of them. So that's, and I don't think I Am Sam. So that knocks out two of the other Oscar nominations. Is it Fast Times at Ridgemont High? It is not Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, there goes my perfect score. Which I just watched for the first time. Thank you, Karina Longworth. Oh, yeah, I just listened to that episode. Um, good miniseries that she's doing. Made me want to watch um, Body Double, which I've not seen. Body I'm, Double is a fucking blast. I I'm, also just watched I'm so wary of De Palma. I know that makes me sound like a whatever idiot, but I was no, so... No, I don't think it does. I dressed to Kill so... Uh, rubbed me the wrong way that, yeah you know. i i agree and i understand <laughs> um but then there are all those yeah. there are de palma movies that i really like so i can't like broad brush it or anything like that so i should check that's it the out. thing about this you must remember this series is like i actually don't think it's one of the better produced seasons that she's done however it has made me want to go back and watch pretty much every single one of these movies yeah i definitely wanted to watch 10 after that episode um yeah what else what are the other big ones that uh that got talked about in that season in this season i even watched jagged edge which karina is right it is a giant piece of (laughs) hateful shit um that's fantastic the melanie griffith stuff though was real eye-opening just in terms of like i didn't realize the depths to which she was uh treated like real garbage by both the industry and the media and that's unfortunate I'm stalling for time. All right, what is <laughs> for your last Sean Penn movie? My last Sean which Penn. You uh, haven't gotten any wrong guesses. Yes, so. I did. Well, no, you got fast time. I guess fast I times. got fast time wrong. Okay. Um, or you I, didn't get fast time. Is it Carlito's Way? It's not Carlito's Way. So your year is 2003. Is it 21 grams? 21 fucking grams. That's insane. Grams. That's. I will say Inyara 2 is pretty, is pretty overrepresented on IMDb games in general, but even still, that surprises me. Wow. All right. Well, I'm not mad that I didn't get a perfect score on that because I, 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 I considered 21 grams and I rightfully, I thought, uh, uh, put it out of my mind. So crazy.
All right. Good episode, Chris. Good Interesting episode. movie, I will say. Come back next week for episode 200. Ooh, it is going to be a party. <laughs> It'll be something. All right. but uh, for I'm now, excited to talk about that movie. Me too. No, I'm thrilled to talk about the movie. A little bit daunted as to uh, what else we're going to throw in there, but we'll have that conversation soon. All right. That is our episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this thishatoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts' visibility. So indulge in your elaborately constructed mental delusion and write something nice about us. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz and our 200th episode. Bye-bye. Everyone's a winner, baby, that's so loud.